2: He took it out. Oh,
0: boy, you. Friday, July 2nd edition, hiatus stop, PNFT Live, PFT PM. I'm back one day after having that rogue vampire wisdom tooth removed. It was incredibly easy. I worry about everything. I never worry about the things I should worry about. Those are the th- things that tend to bite me in the ass. The things I obsess over usually work out well, and the wisdom tooth removal worked out very well, feeling very good. No swelling that I'm aware of. Maybe you are. Everything is fine on the inside. It was just one, not all four. I can't imagine getting rid of all four. So uh, off we go back sooner than I thought I would be. And I picked a hell of a day to have a wisdom tooth removed because I, I had to spend a lot of time dealing with the analysis, the assessment and the aftermath of the news that broke yesterday that following a year-long investigation, Washington football team imposing penalties, sort of, against Washington owner Daniel Snyder for workplace issues that, as I mentioned, had been investigated for more than a year. Initially, it was Snyder who hired Beth Wilkinson to come in and investigate the situation there. Then after one of the stories broke, I believe it was the story about the cheerleader videos where the outtakes were being collected allegedly sent to senior management, allegedly. That was the moment where the league took over the investigation that was started by Beth Wilkinson. Well, now it's over. The commissioner has reached a conclusion and yesterday the news was announced. Not a coincidence, frankly, that it was the day before the Friday of July 4 weekend. If they had waited until today, it would have been too damn obvious. And I've noticed that trend recently from the NFL. Once they started using weekends in the summer as bad news dumps and started getting called out for it, I'm not aware of anyone who would have called them out for that, they started moving sometimes to Thursday, so it wouldn't be quite so obvious. So this week is Thursday because it would have been really obvious if they had done it today. And frankly, when you consider the fourth landing on a Sunday, a lot of people aren't working on Friday anyway this week. So yesterday, the perfect time to announce the penalties and other consequences of that investigation. The commissioner made general findings and they are damning findings of a workplace culture that had claims of sexual harassment, bullying of subordinate employees, detachment from ownership. Dan Snyder is one of the owners who hadn't in the past been in the building on a regular basis. Well, you better trust the people who are there and you better know that they are people who aren't going to do things they shouldn't be doing. now. Snyder, I think, was around senior management enough to have an inkling of what was going on, and maybe it was a reflection of who he is and how he is, but we just don't know. I'm going to get to that. All we know is the general conclusion, not the specific, just the general, and the general conclusions are very, very damning. The general conclusions point to a significant penalty, and then that's where the penalties come in. A $10 million fine, which some have described as pocket change for a billionaire. $10 million is still $10 million. But look, I, I agree. It's not a huge portion of Daniel Snyder's net worth. It's not a huge portion of the value of the team, but it is a significant fine, the biggest fine ever issued by the NFL. On top of that, he'll be paying what I'm told is upwards of $7 million for the Beth Wilkinson investigation. That was known. He was gonna do that anyway. Even if he'd been exonerated, he was paying that bill. He started the process by hiring her. The league took it over. If the end result had been Dan Snyder is blameless, the team did nothing wrong, Snyder would still be paying Beth Wilkinson's fees. And 7 million isn't all that out of line when you consider that over 150 different people were interviewed as part of this process. Snyder himself interviewed twice. Now, the other penalty, which technically isn't a penalty, I think it was a negotiated outcome. The voluntary stepping aside by Snyder from the day-to-day operations, his wife, Tanya Snyder, who just a few days ago became co-CEO and co-owner. And I was told last night by a very good source, not to be confused with my usual bad sources, that that was directly motivated by what they knew was coming. That was the reason It was done. I speculated the other day about estate planning and that may be part of it too. That may be an incidental benefit, but Tanya Snyder was put in that role 48 hours before she took over the reins of the team voluntarily from her husband. Now, is it really voluntary? Again, I think it was negotiated. I think if he hadn't voluntarily done it, he would have been suspended. The league, the benefit they get is they don't have to suspend him. They don't get themselves into a potential fight We know that Daniel Snyder, fairly litigious. Back in 2017, when Jerry Richardson found himself in a similar situation with the Panthers, he just handed in the keys to the car before anyone tried to take it from him. They didn't have to deal with Richardson fighting anyone. He was ready to sell the team. He didn't have any kids that he wanted to bequeath the team to. He was ready to move on. Snyder would have fought because Snyder is determined to, to give the Washington football team to his children. He would have fought tooth and nail if there had been a suspension or something along the lines of he must sell the team. So voluntarily, air quotes, voluntarily stepping aside for a period of months. And there's an interesting PS to that. Last night, Mark Maskey of the Washington Post reported that Snyder can't resume his day-to-day control of the team until the commissioner, Roger Goodell, approves it. I got some pushback from that from some people in the know. And I say, hey, it's not my report. We're just passing along what Mark Maskey reported. And yeah, it's my analysis of that fact that supports my belief that this was negotiated. And my position has been pretty simple. Unless Maskey retracts his report or someone goes on the record, specifically Roger Goodell or Daniel Snyder and says that that report is incorrect, I'm not changing our story. Our story is what Mark Maskey's story is until it's retracted by him or refuted, not by somebody who's trying to tell me that it's false without attaching a name to it. I want a quote from Roger Goodell. I want a quote from Daniel Snyder before I change our official story that Daniel Snyder will not resume day-to-day operations of the team, not resume representation of the team at league meetings until the commissioner allows it. At the core of all of this, is the issue of transparency or lack thereof. And we kind of sensed it was moving in this direction that at the end of the day, the report generated by Beth Wilkinson would not be made available as all other major reports involving major NFL scandals have been made available in recent years. Back at the bounty scandal, there was a ton of transparency. They had Mary Jo White, respected public servant, lawyer, agency head. They hired her to come in and explain all of this to reporters, even though I have real issues about the accuracy of the explanation. They had transparency. The bullying scandal, the first time we ever heard the name Ted Wells, 2013, he was hired, did a full investigation, prepared a meticulous report, confidential information in their sensitive allegations. We still saw it. Deflategate, 140 pages. Ted Wells, again, full transparency. We have seen transparency over and over again. This one, no transparency. This one, the report won't be made available. And the reason the report won't be made available, there is no report. No written report generated by Beth Wilkinson. Oral report to the NFL. Nothing in writing. Now, you avoid anyone leaking it if you don't have a written report. And I suspect that's why there is no written report. The argument the NFL made yesterday during a conference call that I think Beth Wilkinson should have been part of, frankly, they tapped Lisa Friel on the shoulder to read off talking points that, in my opinion, were crafted by General Counsel Jeff Pash, didn't get a whole lot of information. It was some filibustering. And it was very basic, broad brush stuff. Well, why isn't there a report made available for us to scrutinize? Well, these are delicate matters, we were told. And It's hard to get people to come forward, so you have to make things confidential or they won't come forward. Well, that's fine, but there are ways to protect people who have come forward without burying the facts on which the findings against the team and Snyder were based. You can just change names. How hard is that? Jane Doe one, Jane Doe two, Jane Doe three, Jane Doe 150, everyone who spoke, so Beth Wilkinson, I know not all 150 of them were people making accusations, but all the ones who made accusations, whether it's 40, 50, whatever the number, you don't have to give your name if you don't want to. You just don't. We won't use any names. We'll make it impossible to figure out who any of these people are because we'll use none of the names in the report. The names don't matter. The people matter. But for the purposes of determining whether and to what extent punishment should be imposed on the team, the names are irrelevant. It's the behaviors that cry out for more information, more information, for those of us who would react and demand more than what ultimately was levied against the team and against Snyder. And that's really the bottom line here. People have argued that the league is protecting Dan Snyder, Well, they're not protecting him because they like him. I, I know enough people in ownership circles to know he's not particularly popular. He's not particularly powerful. He's not particularly respected. But they're protecting him because, for some of them, and I'm not gonna name names because I don't know names. I just know circumstances. You don't want to have the standard that gets crafted for Daniel Snyder potentially applied to you. You may be sitting on the porch of a glass house sipping a Chris Sims Pina Colada. You don't want those stones coming back your way. And it's very simple. Once people realize the impact of accusations like this, the way you can take down the king, you can knock the emperor off his horse. You can do that with these accusations. These other guys are gonna worry, well, we're gonna be the next ones to be accused. And what if I'm wrongly accused? How do I defend myself? How do I deal with this? I don't wanna be canceled. I don't wanna deal with these issues. So they go easy on Snyder. He doesn't even get suspended. He's not forced to sell the team. I firmly believe that if the facts on which the ultimate conclusions were based were made available for public scrutiny, there would ultimately be no choice for the NFL to force Daniel Snyder to sell the team. And if this goes by weeks, months, and at some point there's a document that's leaked from Beth Wilkinson's office or somewhere that has that information, you know, like that video that we saw from TMZ in September of 2014, it's going to create a major scandal for the NFL. Now, I don't know how reliable any of the information will be. A video is undeniable paperwork they can say this is false this is fabricated this isn't real whatever remember when there was a tentative set of recommendations that was leaked to 106.7 the fan in dc and and it was all shouted down so i I think they could deal with this better than they dealt with the ray rice video but you know the example that i gave last night i know they're two different contexts altogether but there won't even be a ray rice video here because the nfl has basically put a bag over the camera by not having a report created and they avoid what would be, I believe, ultimately a decision that Dana Snyder would have to sell the team, which could become decisions that others down the road have to sell the team if they face similar allegations. And if some way, somehow the truth comes out about this later, and Roger Goodell is still the commissioner, but he's going to have some worries, like the worries he had back in the month of September 2014 after that video came out. All right plenty of other things happening in the National Football League. Today is the day for anyone who wants to opt out for the 2021 season to do so, other than players who have signed their most recent contracts after October 1 of 2020, unless those players have since been diagnosed with a higher risk condition that puts them in jeopardy of a serious consequence from COVID. Now, for those who already had contracts in place before October 1 of 2020, they can opt out for any reason. The ones who either opted out last year or have developed post-October 1 health conditions, they get a $350,000 stipend. Anyone else eligible to, uh, to opt out and signed a contract before October 1, they don't get a stipend, but you can opt out for any reason. And that's why there's been speculation. Maybe Aaron Rodgers will do it. He would save over $20 million if he does it. I'm told it's highly unlikely that he'll do it. Deshaun Watson, there's been speculation that he'll do it. Highly unlikely that he'll do it. I think the only guy to watch today, frankly, is a guy like Cole Beasley, whether it's Beasley or someone else, somebody who refuses to get vaccinated, who resents the fact that there's two sets of rules and doesn't want to be subject to the 2020 protocol while most of his teammates are living like it's 2019. I could see a guy who is very anti-vaccine and is very upset about the protocols that will apply to him on an enhanced basis saying, I'm just going to take the year off. I'll see you next year. That could happen. I've heard nothing to suggest that any one player will, but at some point between now and 4 PM Eastern on Friday, that lightning could strike and there could be one or more players who decide to opt out for 2021. My guess is the over under 0.5. I'll take the under. I don't think anybody's going to do it. Another thing that made its way through the day before the Friday of July 4 weekend news dump, the OTA violations by not one, not two, but three teams. Cowboys, 49ers, Jaguars. And the fines were significant. $100,000 for the Cowboys and the 49ers, $50,000 for Coach Mike McCarthy and Kyle Shanahan, respectively. And for the Jaguars, a $200,000 fine, plus $100,000 for Urban Meyer. The Meyer situation, not surprising. A new coach with no NFL experience experience, bringing his system, his style, his way of doing things to the NFL level. And the fact that Meyer, and I know there's reports about what prompted it, look, he got fined 100 grand. I have a feeling this just wasn't one drill that got out of hand. I think to get to $100,000 for you and $200,000 for the team, there's some stuff going on that shouldn't be happening. And this is what happens when a lifetime college coach who's used to running everything, not being told, You can't do this. You can't do this. He's the emperor. He's the king. He's in charge. Now he finds out he's not. And he's found that out, you know, in a few bits and pieces, the Chris Doyle situation. He found out he just can't ram through whatever he wants to do. There's going to be public pushback. Now he's finding out you can't ram through whatever off-season program you want. There's going to be pushback from the league and the union. And he's learned a very expensive lesson. And I think that we need to be paying attention to that as the season unfolds. We'll probably hear stories about extra physical practices, Meyer pushing the limit. A lot of the stuff that happens at colleges that we don't really find out about, how aggressive and intense their practices are year round, that's what Meyer's bringing to town. It just shows you, spring, spring practice must be grueling for college players because for Meyer, what happened I assume was normal and maybe it was even a scaled down version of normal. And he still got fined 100 grand and the team 200 grand. So I'm surprised more teams weren't punished this year. But the league and the union being very aggressive. And for the other two teams, I can see why they're maybe pushing the envelope. Mike McCarthy's feeling the heat in Dallas, trying to instill a new sense of toughness, especially on the defense. And, and for the 49ers, I just think Kyle Shanahan's exasperated generally about everything, and he feels a sense of urgency, and he wants to get his team ready to go, and he maybe wants to put a, an extra callus on their bodies in the offseason to reduce the injuries that popped up last year and derailed what could have been a potential Super Bowl run. Something else I saw today that caught my eye, because I recall vividly the conversation Sims and I had on PFT Live. When Tom Brady, of all people, spoke out against players participating in voluntary offseason workouts. The same Tom Brady, who last year was told by the union, don't gather your teammates and work out together until training camp opens because of the pandemic. And Brady gave the double-barreled middle finger to the union and did it anyway. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Remember that on Instagram? Got his guys together, got his work in. This year, he's in favor of players staying away. Troy Aikman, on the Flying Coach podcast pointing out that he thinks Brady did it. And this is something Sims and I laughed about at the time. Aikman believes Brady took that position for competitive purposes. He wants all the other teams to have their players stay away and otherwise not work out. While Brady and his guys stay away, but not really away. They were working out on their own one building over in Tampa. They got their work in. Aikman's theory is, Brady wants everyone else to not get their work in because he knows he's getting his work in competitive advantage. And when Sims and I said it, we were kind of joking. And, and look, I don't know whether Aikman's going to come out and say he was joking or his words were taken out of context or whatever. It wouldn't be the first time, frankly, I'll do respect. But uh, I think it's, I think it's interesting. I think it's significant and it may be dead on balls. Accurate as they say in my cousin, Vinny. Can I say it on this? I guess I can. They can always bleep it if they want to. Anyway, Aikman may be right on the money about what Brady's motivation was. Last point before I take a look at whether or not there's any questions to answer today. Reggie Bush wants his Heisman back. Reggie Bush wants his NCAA records reinstated. And he's absolutely right. One thing we've learned through the last 10 years and culminating in the passage of the ability, the opening of the floodgates for players to profit from their name, their image, their likeness, any money that anyone got from anyone other than the school shouldn't have mattered. But the NCAA had to prop up this phony facade of amateurism. So they had to go after anyone who was getting any money or you can't get any money or you can't get any money, you can't, you can't, have, this, you can't have this, you can't have a cookie, because they had to preserve the notion that there's a purity of amateur athleticism. And that was all aimed at, and it still is aimed at, keeping the teams from having to pay their players. You get free labor. That's what it's all about. Well, now that the name, image, and likeness cat's out of the bag, yeah, Reggie Bush should get his Heisman back and his record should be reinstated. The problem is he's not the only one. And I think the last thing the NCAA wants to do is start sliding down this rabbit hole of making things right with players who got screwed in the past because that will only highlight how corrupt the whole thing has been and how corrupt it still is. I'm hoping that what happened yesterday with these new rules, allowing players to get paid by others, isn't the end, it's just the beginning. And I'm hoping within the next five years, there will be a model in place that shares TV revenue with the athletes, that pays on a competitive basis, based on whether Alabama is gonna pay more or Texas is gonna pay more, who's gonna pay more to get that player. These are grown, People They are 18 years old for the most part or older. They should be getting paid fair value for what they bring to the table. NIL is a beginning. And again, I hope it's very far from the end. We may be close to the end. We may be far from the end. Let's see if we got any questions to answer today. Not many people up early. The PFTPM posse, not an AM crowd, that's for sure. How about Tom Marshall? When the NFL expands to include an international franchise, do you think it will be owned by an American? That's an interesting question. No, there, there aren't enough people in the world with the kind of money to own an NFL team. I suppose they would prefer to have local ownership just so they don't get into the whole uh, set of issues we've seen with outsiders owning soccer clubs like Stan Kroenke and the Glazers in Tampa. But uh, I, I look, at the end of the day, what will happen is there will be, if they expand, cities that are targeted and there will be groups in those cities and how viable those ownership groups are will go a long way toward determining whether or not those teams are the ones that are selected. And I could see a hybrid with maybe partial American and partial England ownership of of a team in London if that happens And, and keep this in mind. I remember at some point, I'd say it was about 10 years ago, years before the NFL was back in LA, Al Michaels said, if the NFL ever takes one team back, it's taking two and he was right. I think if the NFL ever goes to London, it's not going to be one team. It's going to be two. So uh, I think that's coming. And, and I think there will be some international component to ownership, but there may be some American as well, but the bottom line is y- y- you need plenty of money to own and operate an NFL team. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Jay Quintana, if Herschel Walker didn't come into the NFL with all that hype, the Babe Ruth of football, couldn't an argument be made that he's a Hall of Famer? I haven't researched his numbers anytime. So I've never gotten the sense he's a Hall of Famer. He had a surprising amount of longevity. I, I I don't and I don't I don't know if he's even been close to the list of semifinalists or finalists. So I I don't think he was hurt by the hype. I just think he was hurt by the reality. Kane, is this upcoming Packers season a repeat of the 2019 Patriots with obvious drama under the surface with a predestined split? Seems like an easy example to predict what happens with Rodgers and the Packers. No? And I agree with that. You know, people think, I don't want Rodgers to play for the Packers this year. I want him to. I-, I want him to be there. If he's not there, what's the story? If he's there and he's making passive-aggressive comments and they have a game that goes well or a game that doesn't go well and everyone's going to be analyzing – What's Aaron Rodgers upset about? I want him there. It makes my business better. And at the core, I'm a businessman. I don't make no bones about it. I want interesting stories. People say, what do you root for? I root for interesting stories. I want things that people are going to want to go read. I want them to have a reason to come to my website. What's wrong with that? Now, we're not going to make up stories to make that happen. We get accused of making stuff up. Sometimes it's like, dude, if I was going to make stuff up, it was going to be a hell of a lot more interesting than this thing you're accusing me of making up. I wait for the good stories. I crave the good stories. I'm like the dog at the window waiting for the owner to come home. I want the good story. The good story here is Rogers shows up and it's dysfunctional all year long. And ultimately, he plays well through the dysfunction, wins the Super Bowl, and as I've said time and again, like the ending of both Longest Yard movies, picks up that football, walks over to Mark Murphy and says, stick this in your trophy case and walks away for good.
1: For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard, so is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois.
0: All right. I should probably stop there. I like to stop on a high note. Let me see if there's anything else here. I feel like I'm giving short shrift to some of the people who are asking questions. Uh, squash Face, if the leak did not take place, let me try that again. If the draft, excuse me, if the draft did not take place and players could choose, how would the league balance and manage certain teams clearly being more attractive destinations than others? For example, everyone wanted to go to Tampa because they won the Super Bowl. I, uh, that, that's a great question, Squash Face, because this year, who would want to go to Tampa? They returned all 22 starters. See, th- there's this, this misguided sense that if there was no draft, all the players would sign with the Cowboys or all the players would sign with the Rams or all the players would sign with this team or all the players. No, they're going to go where they think they're going to play. I remember there was a time in college football when games weren't on TV, when there was maybe two a week that you saw and Oklahoma with Barry Switzer could go out and recruit players six deep at running back guys who would have been stars elsewhere. They ended up there, they ended up sitting on the bench. They ended up being buried on the bench in Oklahoma at a powerhouse. That changed with all the games on TV. Now you got 32 teams and players will be smart about where they go. It's no different than what happens with undrafted free agents. They always say it's better to not be drafted in round seven or maybe even in round six and be able to pick your team because then you can pick the spot where you're gonna learn, where you're gonna grow, where you're gonna play. Who's gonna wanna go to Tampa this year? Who would they have found this year once they signed back all those guys? Who's going to go there? So I think that has a lot to do with it. It's not, it's, a team isn't attractive because it just won the Super Bowl. A team's going to be attractive for various destinations. It's a combination of money, location, and also when and if the player gets on the field. And that's going to be a huge deal. Are you going to go to Patrick Mahomes if you're a quarterback and sit on the bench with the Chiefs? Yeah, I want to go to the Chiefs. I want to play with Patrick Mahomes. Well, if you play quarterback, you ain't going to play. So uh, those are all factors that would go into it. Trust me, if they got rid of the draft and they never will, it would not nearly be the nightmare that people think it would be. That's just part of the brainwashing that's been done to make us all continue to think the draft is the end all be all for the building of an NFL team. And as we've seen time and again, it's really not. The bad teams are bad for a reason. And one of the reasons they're bad, when they have high draft picks, they often screw them up. All right. Tony Taylor, important question. Can't find PFT on Sky TV. Are you guys on break? Last show I caught was last Friday. Where have you gone? Well, Tony Taylor, if you check us out on the website or on YouTube, you can get these hiatus versions of PFT Live and PFT PM. We are back August nine after the Olympics with a new season of weekday shows on Sky Sports unless and until they pull the plug. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Ta-da. Looking, looking. Roner, what's the word on the Dante Adams extension? Nothing yet. No news yet. Uh, if I'm, if I'm Dante Devonte Adams, excuse me. I want to know who the quarterback is going to be in 2021 before I sign up. Otherwise, maybe I just hit the market next year. Um, last question. Let me see here. So let me just see. I, I got more in here than I thought we were going to get. How about this? Where is it? Justin Miller, how will college players being compensated affect the NFL? Will players stay in school longer? I wrote something about this the other day, and I absolutely think that some players will. It becomes a factor in the broader decision-making process as to whether or not you're going to stay or go. And now when you're deciding after you have your three years of eligibility in, one of the, one of the positive factors is I can get paid marketing dollars to stay in school. And you know, when you think about the NFL, th- there really isn't a huge group of guys that are making a ton of marketing money. A lot of the guys who have shoe deals are just getting like merchandise and shoes free. They're not getting paid a ton of money. I, I think that, that for a lot of these guys, you're the big fish in the not small pond, but not N- NFL size pond. You may make more money that last year in college than you would make your first year in the NFL when you consider your salary, if you're, let's say you're drafted around five or six, your salary, you're not going to get any marketing dollars as a fifth or sixth round draft pick. But if you're the star player with a college town and you got one more year and the anticipation's there, it's going to be a special season. You could, you could cash in. So uh, I think it will make some players more likely to stay in school. It's just another factor though that needs to be included in the overall analysis. That's about a half hour or so. I think that's good enough We'll be back Monday with more hiatus edition PFT Live, PFT PM, unless I have some sort of of a complication over the weekend from my vampire rogue wisdom tooth, although I doubt that will happen. Enjoy the weekend, stay safe, be smart, light fuse, and get away. Please. We want everyone out there to emerge from the weekend with all fingers, toes, and any other vital appendages. Enjoy the weekend and we'll see you on Monday.